You may be seated. If you would, bow with me in prayer before we open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you uh, that we can gather in this way. I thank you for each one that you've brought here this morning, that we can gather together as your people, that we can sing together, that we love you. Uh, we are grateful, we are thankful that we, you have provided this place. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us, the way it shows us, the way it corrects us, the way it points us more fully to who you are and the way you love us. And so we pray this morning that as you, we uh, together open your word, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us in all truth, that you would help us to see uh, your glory all the more, and that everything we see, say and do this morning would be about your glory and lifting your name up. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Grace is unmerited favor. I was trying to think how many times I've said that over the last probably six years or so. Probably too many to count. I say that quite frequently. Uh, Grace is unmerited favor. We get what we don't deserve by what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we say that over and over and we talk about that a lot. Uh, We started that day that way this morning in the way we sing Uh, By grace alone, Uh, I was an orphan lost and Jesus came to find me and to save me. I stand in faith. I run the race. I will slay my sin. I will reach the end by grace alone. Grace is undeserved merit. We get what we don't deserve. And so I just want to ask this morning, do you believe that God is gracious? Do you know in your life and the way he's dealt with you that he's gracious? Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor who uh, pastored in England in the, uh, up until about 19, I believe he passed away in 1981. And he was a pastor at Westminster Chapel in London for 30 plus years. He was known as the doctor. He was a physician who had gone to school and became a doctor and was practicing and left his practice to become a pastor. And so they referred to him as the doctor. He's considered one of the great preachers that we've ever had. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones would talk about how when people came into the church and he would meet with people and he would talk with them, he would often ask them one question to begin. And the question would simply be, are you a Christian? And what Lloyd-Jones would say that often happened and he would hear back from them and they would say, uh, well, I'm trying. And he heard that frequently. And Lloyd-Jones response to that each and every time he heard that would be that you have no idea what a Christian is. Now, that sounds really harsh when you first hear that, and I say that, and he said that frequently over and over again, and I think what he was getting at in saying that, we say, I'm trying, I'm working on it, I'm, I'm trying to be good. I think that was the connotation he was getting back a lot of times, and what people were saying is, I'm trying really hard to achieve this thing that you call being a Christian. And I think what it goes to, the very heart of, is that people were not understanding when they said that to him that God is gracious. They weren't truly believing that God is gracious. And so Lloyd-Jones's response, the doctor's response that you have no idea what Christianity is, was right on. But it can be hard sometimes for us to hear that. I don't have the experience that the doctor had being a pastor for 30 years. But in the last five years or so, I've heard very similar things repeated over and over. Uh, Oftentimes I hear people say, yes, I believe it's Jesus. And yes, it's by faith. And I believe him. Uh, but, and there's usually a lot of times people will say that there'll be this, but that's in there, but, uh, I'm not quite as good as I think I should be. Or people will say, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe God's gracious, but you don't know all the bad things that I've done. 
Or people will say things like, um, as they get older and death becomes a very real thing in their life. I remember an older gentleman telling me this. Yes, I believe it's Jesus. And yes, I, I know it's by faith. But I'm really kind of worried about that whole judgment thing. And you hear these things over and over. And it's the same thing that uh, the doctor heard when he responded. You don't really understand what Christianity is. And so if you're struggling with any of those things, or those pop into your mind, or those come, I just want to ask that this morning. Do you really believe God is gracious? Do you know that He is gracious? Because when we say things like that, when we articulate that way, we're missing a very key understanding of who God is and the way we relate to Him. The same would be true on the other end of the spectrum. And I've heard this one frequently too. People will tell me, yeah, well, I was pretty messed up or I was pretty bad. or I used to do this in high school or college or whatever it was. But then I kind of got things straightened out. And now I I give back and I volunteer and I, uh, I work at different charities and all these things. So I feel like God's pretty pleased with me. Which, by the way, that's not undeserved merit. That's I'm trying to earn my merit before God by what I do. And we miss it on both ends of those. And I tell you, as believers, oftentimes we'll swing back and forth between the two. You have a bad day and it's like, oh, no, I don't know that I'm good enough. You have a really good day and then suddenly it's like, okay, I think I'm doing pretty well. But in both of those, we're not truly fully believing that God is gracious. We're not knowing that he's gracious. And so this morning, I want us to look at this idea in Hebrews. Let me just remind you, if we've been walking through Hebrews, a lot of the audience that this letter is written to is dealing with the exact same things. They're wanting to hold on to their old way of doing things. They want to go back to the temple worship. They want to go back to the things they do so they feel better about who they are, which is the same heart condition that each one of us deals with. We want to make our relationship with God be what I do, and then that's what he, how he sees me. Do to be often is our default. We want to make ourselves the center in what I do and now God relates to me in that way. And it's all about what I earn or what I merit by my works. And that's so hard for us to grasp a hold of. But when we go through Hebrews, it tells us over and over and over. No, 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 that's not the way it works. It's all Jesus. They were wanting to go back to the temple. Don't go back to the temple. Jesus is your temple. They were wanting to go back to sacrifices. Don't go back to sacrifice. Jesus is your one and only final sacrifice. Don't go back to Moses. Moses was just a pointer pointing ahead to Jesus. All these things over and over. And so this morning I really want us to think about this picture of what does it mean to truly believe that God is gracious. God is gracious in your life. God is gracious in the way he sees you. God is gracious in your future. God is gracious in your death and in judgment and every single one of those steps. What does it mean to truly believe God is gracious? And so the way I want us to look at this this morning is just simply to ask that. Do you believe God is gracious? First, in your relationship with him. Secondly, in the way he sees you. And then lastly, in your future. Do you believe God is gracious in those three things? Your relationship, how he sees you, and your future. And so let's just start at the beginning there with do you believe God is gracious? gracious in your relationship with him. And so pick up with me in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 9. And so it says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
Just recap real quickly. He's making the comparison between what Jesus does in the heavenlies and what the picture of the temple was and how that points us more fully to Jesus. And so he says Jesus doesn't do like the high priest did going into the tabernacle or into the temple. He does it by going into the heavenlies before the father on our behalf. Then verse 25. Now, was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own? For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I'm just going to stop right there with verse 26. Because when we talk about do you believe God is gracious in your relationship with him, the author tells us so clearly there in verse 26 that the only way that you come before a holy, perfect God is for Jesus to take your sins and remove them by the sacrifice of himself. That's what it says in verse 26. He's appeared at the end of the ages. It's talking about Jesus' first coming, his life, death, resurrection, and he's done this completely and fully that you can now be in relationship with him. When we see that, and it says he's offered himself to put away your sins, he's laid down his life, that blows apart this idea that I can earn my worth before God. And I want you to see why, because if that were not the case, if we could earn our worth before God, then Jesus would have just come and said, this is how you live and this is how you do it. Now, good luck. He wouldn't need to lay his life down, but he does. And so it blows apart that idea. And so I want us to think about why that is the case. Why did Jesus have to come and die? Why did he have to be the sacrifice who puts away sin? Why did he have to sacrifice himself? And so when we start to think about this picture, we need to start with God's very character. Because oftentimes when we talk about we can earn our way, I'm doing pretty good, so now I feel like I've earned my worth before God, we don't understand who God is. We've missed his very character when we begin to operate that way. And so what we often say is that God is holy, which means he is perfect in every way. He is other than us. He is greater than us. He is perfect in his nature in every possible way. And so because that is the case, because God is perfectly holy, that means he's perfectly just. It means that our sin demands his wrath. Now, that sounds really harsh when we first start to say that, right? Here I'm asking you, do you believe God is gracious? Now, let me tell you about his wrath. You go, wait a second. Especially in our culture, stop right there. I don't want to hear about a God who's wrathful. Just tell me about the God of love and mercy, and that's good, but I don't want to hear that God's wrathful. But you cannot understand the fullness of God's grace if you don't understand his wrath. You have to have both sides. They're two sides of the same coin. And so I want you to think about the picture of what that means when we say his holiness demands that sin be dealt with. His holiness demands that he's wrathful towards our sin. And the picture is because he's loving and because he's good, he has to be angry at sin. If he weren't, then he wouldn't be good. Just take the example and think what's going on in our world today. You see what's happening with ISIS in the Middle East. Men go into villages and take children from their parents and they behead them and hand the body back. Do you want a God that is not angry at that? No. 
We see it and we know it made in God's image that life is sacred and this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we say, yes, absolutely. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, put an end to this. Judge this world, set things right. And he is, his wrath does rest. Paul actually says that in Romans 2. That apart from Christ, as you continue in your sin, you are building up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. That's a pretty big thing. And we say, well, yes, absolutely, that's true. God's wrath should come on what's happening there. But oftentimes, if we're honest, our heart then goes, but I'm not ISIS. That's not me. That's those people over there that act that way, and I'm not like that. But I want you to think for just a second what sin looks like to a holy, perfect, just God. How does Jesus define sin? Because Jesus gives us God's view of sin because he is God. Because he comes and he talks and he shows us. So if you flip your Bible open to Matthew 5 and you start to read the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. And you go, yes, right. By the way, the biblical definition of adultery is having, se- is, is having sex with anyone that's not your spouse. It's sex outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That's adultery, just so we're clear. His audience knew that. Today we seem not to. But that's what it is. But then the, the second part, he says right after that, is you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust in your mind, you go there and you relish those thoughts, you've committed adultery already. You can almost hear people gasp as he says that when you're reading it. What? He makes it a heart issue. And then he moves to murder. You've heard it say, don't murder. And everybody's, yes, that's right. Well, if you hold a grudge or you're angry with your brother, right? He says, murder demands this justice, it demands judgment. And then he gives you this whole other list of all these other things. And all of a sudden you go, well, wait, what is, what is he saying? That the heart issue is the same when I'm holding a grudge and when I'm angry and I don't forgive. is murder. And he starts to reshape the way we think about the way a holy God sees sin. And the problem becomes, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That seems really, really harsh. That seems really extreme. To make the, 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 the correlation between... Uh, people murdering people in the Middle East and you not forgiving a grudge. And Jesus says, well, it's the same heart issue going on. And I would tell you the reason that it sounds extreme, the reason we go, oh, just a second, is because our conception of God's holiness is so very small. We go, ah, yeah, he's mad at those things. His wrath is deserving on those things. But all my little sins and all my little things, they're not like that. We're missing who God is when we say that. So how does that point us back to God is gracious? I want you to think about that picture. Or or maybe a better picture to see it. If you go and you read Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is God's prophet God has given Isaiah a word, go tell my people these things. Isaiah is obedient and he does it. By all intents and purposes, we would say Isaiah is a a good guy. In Isaiah 6, he stands before the throne room of the Father and there he is. And do you know what he says? 
Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner. And when I stand before the holiness of God, I'm not comparing my sin to anyone else or worse sin. I see that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. So how in the world does that help us get back to, do you believe that God is gracious? Do you know that He's gracious? When we see our sin as God sees it, as a holy, perfect God sees it, it shows us so very clearly that the only way we can ever be in a right relationship with God is by grace alone and nothing else. You can't do it. It's not possible. God is so perfectly pure in every way. You can never pile up enough good things to outweigh bad things because he's perfect. And we start to miss that completely when we start to kind of, oh, this one's not that bad. And that's, we're not seeing it as he sees it. There is no deserving merit in us apart from Jesus Christ. Period. It's only through what he can do for us and nothing else. The fact that he allows people that are not in Christ that have not been reconciled by the blood of Jesus, that are not putting their faith in him to continue to draw breath day in and day out, is his grace. He's completely gracious with us to continue to allow us to go on. Paul says that in Romans 2. Don't you know that he's allowing you to continue to draw breath because it's his kindness that you would turn to him? And so when you start to see the true reality of who we are apart from Christ and our standing in our sin, then you start to see and it begins to magnify God's grace. That he is so incredibly gracious with us. But not only do we see it and that he allows us to draw breath, but we see it right here in verse 26 when it says he's appeared at the end of the ages for once and for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not only does he allow us to draw breath, he says, I will come and do what you can't do for you and I will remove the sin by what I do. That's how you have a relationship with him. What he does for you. It's all his grace. And so when we say, well, what is our relationship with him? Do you believe he's gracious? That's the only way you have a relationship with him. There is no other way. There's no plan B. It's all Jesus and what he's done. But then I want us to think the second part of this is, do you believe that God's gracious in the way he sees you? Because oftentimes people say, well, yes, he's forgiven me. And yes, I believe and I'm a Christian and I'm putting my faith in Jesus. But then they walk around in guilt and shame all the time. Oh, I just can't ever shake that. And it's constant. And it's if you just knew what I've done. And you just all these things that we say and we do and we talk about. But it says right here, if you read in chapter 10, start in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from the time that his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us saying, 
This is the covenant that I will make with those. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So do you believe God is gracious in the way he sees you? Because what this says, what God's word says to you is that Jesus has appeared at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Or verse 12, he offered all time a single sacrifice for sins and then he sat down because it's finished. Or you get to verse 17 and he says, I, or verse 14, he's offered a single offering that has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then he gets to verse 17, he says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. If you are in Jesus, that is your standing right now, today. He doesn't remember any of it. He says, I remove it and I've done away with it and it's all by what I do and nothing else. So I say, do you know, do you believe that God's gracious? Do you know what he says here? I've removed your sin and it's by what I do. What you could never do for you, I have done for you. That's what he says. Put it in the context of Hebrews. That's why the author's going, don't go back to sacrifices. Don't go back to the temple. Don't go back to... It's done and it's finished. You don't have to go back to that. And so when we start to think on that picture that's there, and we say things like, I hope I'm okay. I'm trying hard to be a Christian. I'm not sure what it will be like when I stand before him. You're missing the very heart of what Christ has done for you and who you now are in Jesus. That's why the doctor would say, you have no idea what Christianity is. You say, I'm trying. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has finished it and he's completed it and you're his. And this is the way he now sees you. I had a conversation this week with a dear, dear brother that I love. He said, you don't know what I've done. You can't know what I've done. And I said to him, you're right. I don't know. And I can't know all of it. But what I can tell you without hesitation is that Jesus does. I'm going to put that in the context of what Hebrew says. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Go back to Hebrews 2 for just a second. Verse 17. We talked about this weeks ago, months ago. Verse 17 says, talking of Jesus, Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation... Uh, for sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And we talked about this picture of Scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is our brother. He's our faithful brother that comes and it says he's shared in humanity and he knows everything that you are tempted with and you go through in your life, every bit of it. And we said, well, the objection can come when you think that through. But yeah, he was without sin, so he doesn't know what it's like to be in my sin and when I'm feeling guilty and shame and all those kind of things. But what we talked about when we looked at that is, yes, Jesus is fully human. He comes and he walks among us. 
But then he sees and feels everyone around him and what they're going through completely and totally because he has no sin. He's not self-absorbed. We miss so much of what's going around us and other people and what they're dealing with because we ourselves are sinful. And I'm so worried about my own stuff that I'm not fully feeling what everyone else is going through. But Jesus comes and he is fully present with every person. And he sees and feels and goes through all of it. But then on top of that, when we read through and what it tells us happened on the cross and what Jesus did is he laid his life down. Second Corinthians says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. And so my dear brother says, you don't know what I've done. I said, yeah, but Jesus does. And he took it on himself. And he knows every deep, dark corner, everything you've ever thought or done or seen or heard or whatever has come in your life. And he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And he says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. That is how Jesus, how God sees you now. So do you believe that God is gracious in how he sees you and you're standing right now? And so your relationship, the fact that you can come to him, you can talk to him, you can walk with him, you can know him, is by grace. The way he now sees you, do you believe it's by grace? Do you know that it's by grace? But then the last part I want us to think about for just a second is what about your future? What about the hope that you have in Christ? Do you believe it's by grace? Go back to 26, the second half of 26, chapter 9, verse 26. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it's appointed for one man to die once... And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so I think of man laying in the hospital and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm kind of worried about that judgment thing. I really hope they let me in when I get there. Going through that picture and and wrestling with that and what that means. And oftentimes what I hear people uh, express is, I can't wait for Jesus to come back, but that whole judgment thing, right? And they they articulate it like he's going to rake me over the coals and it's going to be really difficult, but then I'll get in because it's Jesus. I go, is that what it says here? Because it says he came... In the first coming, and he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then it says he's coming back a second time, which we are eagerly awaiting, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. And then he goes on to tell you that he's put away your sins, and I remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more, and I've done this, and it's finished. And so the question Becomes what happens when he returns. Yes, he's going to deal with sin. He is going to set things right. Storing up wrath for those that are ignoring Christ. That are making a mockery. 
But he says, for those that are eagerly awaiting with him, he's not coming to deal with sin, but he's coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What's the picture that's there? Why is that the case? It's because he's already paid for your sins. It's done. It's finished. And so it says he's coming back to grab you and bring you into his arms. Thessalonians says there's going to be a cry with the voice of the archangel and we're going to hear and we're going to know his voice and we're going to be with him forever. And we eagerly await the coming of our Savior because my future is completely dependent on the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, not what I do. Thank God. So do you believe that God is gracious in your relationship with him? Do you believe he's gracious in the way he sees you right now today? And do you believe he's gracious in the glorious future that you have because of what Jesus has done for you? That's why we sing. I stand by faith. I run the race. I slay my sin. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious picture that you have painted for us in your scripture that you've given us your word that tells us so clearly that we are saved by what you do for us what jesus has come and finished and done in his sacrifice on our behalf and all we can say is thank you i pray for those that sit here right now today with the attack of the enemy that would say you haven't done enough Or that it's a scary proposition. But if we are in Christ and we are trusting you, I pray that we truly and fully would know the peace that comes with that. That we would fully and completely trust you. That it is by grace alone and what Jesus has done. And that our job is to cling to you in grace each and every day. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.